Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello, this is Odo Sevilla, your host of the DMV Business Show. Welcome. And today we have a very special guest. David Benson is the president of Architessa. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Odo. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Before we go into your story and background, if you can give the audience, David, just a, a brief general overview as far as who is Architessa and your role there, please. Sure, yeah. So, again, David, uh, president of Architessa. Our, our name used to be Architectural Ceramics as of February of 2021. So, we just rebranded and went through a whole name change. Um, but we've been in business for 36 years. We're a tile and stone distribution company that's uh, based out of Rockville, Maryland. So we've, we're homegrown in Montgomery County and have grown from there uh, upward down south to Atlanta, uh, but we sell nationwide. So oh, Fantastic. Okay. So headquarters is Rockville. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Um, so let's, if we can go all the way back, are you originally from the DMV area or where, where did you grow up? Yeah, so personally, it's my stepfather who actually started the company uh, in 1985, and uh, his name was Larry Sullivan. And then my mom, Betty Sullivan, uh, really took over the reins in around 2000, 2001. Uh, but I grew up here. I grew up in Montgomery County, um, from Laytonsville to Potomac, uh, local graduate of Walt Whitman High School in Bethesda. Uh, so definitely love Montgomery County and love the area here. <laughs> so, so growing up in a family business, were, were you involved at an early age or how was it growing up or were you just focused in school and other activities? Yeah. So early on, um, they, my mom met my stepfather when I was about eight or nine. So they got married and literally from one that once they got married, I was helping out. Uh, in the sh in the showroom at nine or ten years old, putting away, cleaning up. Uh, you know, Friday nights was like pizza and cleanup night, not pizza and movie night. Uh, so uh, I had that experience. Um, you know, it, it just my childhood before that. Um, you know, came from a divorced family, so my mom was a single mom growing. You know, growing up those first few years, and uh, it taught me a lot. It definitely taught me a lot of uh, patience and how to work hard, you know, and seeing my mom work that way, uh, as well as my father, who was uh, a single dad as well. So. Sure. W were, do you have any siblings or is it just you? Yeah. So I actually, from my mom, I have one biological sister and this is the, the funny story. I have three stepsisters and then together they adopted two girls. So in total, I have six sisters. <laughs> wow. So you're the only boy. Yep. The only boy in the pack. <laughs> it's almost like the opposite of my family, David. Uh, I, I have a brother, a younger brother, and, and then myself, I have three sons. Um, oh. So that, yeah, so that there's, a, there's a lot of boys in my family tree. Yeah, I started I, and I actually have two daughters and a son now. And the two, the two daughters came first. Okay. And I was, I was praying. I was like, Lord, you <laughs> let there be one boy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, finally got the boy <laughs> last. There you go. That's good. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned before your mother, is your sister older or younger than you? So two of uh, the, the biological yeah. sisters, 
younger, but two of the stepsisters are older. So thankfully I was third in the mix. Uh, and so the other ones were younger and it was, it was easy to be a little bit more of a leader with them, but they always wanted to, you know, play with my things or, you know, be a part of what I was doing. Sure. So. How, how was it growing up? You, you said for, for a brief moment there, David, you, you know, your mother was a single mother and it's you, you're the oldest one and you have a younger sister and you mentioned she was working hard from your recollection, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was, um, she was working, uh, at a company called Larry's cookies. She was working for my grandfather. She was doing multiple jobs just to, you know, keep, you know, keep funds for the, you know, the two of us. And, uh, yeah, so I was very thankful that she met my stepfather and, um, you know, they've been together since. And it's, uh, I just learned a lot of, uh, you know, hey, hey, you got to put in the hours if it's late at night. Um, you got to get the job done. So just uh, seeing that at a young age and definitely, you know, looking back at it at the time, of course, I wanted my mom around more instead of seeing my grandmother or something like that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it definitely, I look back at it and it's like, hey, you got to work hard if you're in a certain situation. So. Sure. So throughout elementary, middle, high school, besides working at the family business, were you also into other sports or other activities or were you pretty much just busy with school and the business? Yeah, actually soccer was my sport of preference, uh, soccer and basketball. Uh, I did play varsity at, at Whitman uh, basketball for one year. Uh, and then I was into acting. Actually, I got into acting in high school and had a talent manager. Uh, so locally, she was in PG County, the manager, Linda Townsend. And I even went to LA for a summer to try it out. And yeah, I got a few gigs here and there. Um, but it just didn't pan out. <laughs> I, I honestly around the movie sets, you, you, you sit around the, the movie sets and you don't work that often. You just it, most of it's sitting around waiting for all the camera and the audio to get set up, <laughs> you know, as an actor. So um, that I just I'm not a very patient person. So I moved on from that. <laughs> That, that, I'm curious that that acting phase, was it during high school or was it before or after? Yeah, it was in high school, junior and senior year. Actually, I, I did a bunch of theater. I was in choir. Uh, so I had that experience. Um, and, you know, for choir, we sang in Canada. We sang at the Kennedy Center, uh, the National Building Museum down in D.C. Uh, so it, it was definitely got you out there in front of people. Um, and I didn't, I had one acting class, uh, freshman year, no, before college, I went to Harvard summer school, uh, and I took some acting classes there up at Harvard. And it's, it's, it, it, you know, that it, it's just a different you know, mindset. You, know, you have to be very creative, uh, learning things about improv as well as formal, you know, acting, um, but it was just one of those things. I, I, I'm very diverse in like my experience. Uh, so from acting to the tile industry, I mean, uh, and then sports, I, I love to do it all. If somebody said, Hey, David, want to do this? I said, yes. <laughs> so. uh, I, I'm sure also acting probably came in handy, David, when it came to the business side of things, right? Yeah. So that actually where I've gotten a lot of experience on the sales side at a really young age, I'm talking about 18 or 19. So uh, the acting took me to LA uh, for that summer. I needed a job, you know, the same way, you know, my mom wasn't able to, you know, pay for things and do that. Uh, they weren't going to support it in that fashion. So I, I had to get a job. I went door to door. Uh, so I went, you know, grassroots campaigning for uh, HRC and California Public Interest Research Group you know, just going door to door to collect and, and the acting tied in with that really helped me get out there, uh, not be shy, learn to not listen to a no and not give up. Uh, so probably similar with you and commercial real estate. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. With with the acting, you go in door to door. So you're you're going go, you're going door door to door, and what you're pitching or. Yeah, so this was to raise funds and lobby uh, in California uh, to support. I think it was uh, supporting, you know, less uh, less oil companies. On, you know, on the water line. Um, I honestly, it was it was twenty years ago, so it's hard sure. to. <laughs> okay, so 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 this was something you were doing on the side while trying to get acting gigs, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and honestly, within two weeks, they promoted me to like a manager level uh, because most of the people that, you know, go door to door, they, they don't have a lot of experience. And because I grew up in the business, uh, you know, I said, Hey, yeah, I'd love to manage a team. So after two weeks, I was managing a team of six people, you know, and where the routes were going. And um, so a little bit less of the door to door, but it was, it was still a fun experience that summer. Uh, I'm curious, were you doing, even back then during, I guess, high school years, were you doing things differently when it comes to door to door compared to the other people? Um, oh, what, I, I'm trying to recall some like specific examples, but, uh, you know, it, I, I think it's more just my personality and smiling, like and on that level, uh, yeah, I would go into towns like Beverly Hills and I would go into other towns that were, you know, the complete opposite of Beverly Hills. So to get somebody to open up in a, you know, 90210 zip code, uh, open up their door, you know, smiling in that first impression, you know, that first five seconds really makes a difference. Like, hey, how you doing today? <laughs> you know, it's just making them feel a little bit warm and comfortable in the beginning. Sure. That was biggest lesson learned that, that that's good you know when, when it comes to door-to-door you know cold calling canvassing prospecting, not, not many people make it and that's the reason i was asking a lot of, you know there's a lot of no the majority i would say probably over 80 90 percent if not higher are no's and that's why it's just a revolving door a lot of times with positions and roles like that yeah i mean that's very true i there was a couple of folks that you know were on the team that weren't on the team the next week uh, or they just they wouldn't show back up because it is difficult. I mean, door to door, you have dogs that could be running at you. Um, you have people that in, I didn't run into this, but, you know, they could have a gun. You know, they don't want people at their door. Uh, so <laughs> you got to be quick on your feet. <laughs> it, it, it's so true. It just brings back the story. One of our uh, previous guests, he's a founder uh, of a tech company in Northern Virginia and mm-hmm. part of I think it was college. He started, he was back then, he was going door to door in Southern California selling encyclopedia back this pre-internet, of course. And, yeah. and, and these encyclopedias are, were quite expensive. It was a good amount of investment. And he was telling, he was like, my territory, he was like, it was rough. Uh, people didn't care much about education, let alone an encyclopedia that's going to cost you hundreds or thousands of dollars. But he's like, it taught me a lot of things as far as dealing with different personalities and, and, and everything because you're knocking on someone's door. And, but he was like, you know, the one thing I found, which I, which I found interesting, he was telling me is that everyone wanted something better for their children, either whatever they came from, even if it was a rough neighborhood, they always wanted something better for their children. And it, it was, just, it was a great experience he had. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a very good point. And I would say there's two differences. Like it, he was selling encyclopedias. So he was selling an actual product. So when I went out uh, looking for a job, I went to look to sell knives, like Cutco knives and with Vector companies. And then I went with uh, the HRC. And so looking at the two different things, you're selling one is you're selling a product. So not only do you have to sell yourself and the product, where with like the HRC side, I was mainly just selling myself as a person, um, you know, understanding what their beliefs are. Um, you know, towards the environment or, you know, whatever the cause was that we were promoting. And I I think there's two different, I learned that experience of selling not a product and then also selling with a product. So it was nice to see both, um, both of those. Um, Because I mean, for instance, Tile, we sell, you know, physical product. Uh, but it's not always just about the product. You have to sell yourself too. You have to build that relationship. 
And, and all this was during your high school years, right, David? Yeah, I was 18. Yeah, 18, okay. 19. Yeah. Okay. So after graduating high school here locally in Montgomery County, what happened afterwards? Um, I, so I went to GW for college. Um, I, you know, pushed away the acting side of things. My degree initially was electrical engineering. Uh, so I was at GW, you know, again, I joined the choir. Um, you know, my faith, I'm a Christian. So I joined the Christian fellowship group. Um, and then, you know, so I was joining all these things. I was in the emerging leaders program freshman year. So doing all these things, it spreads you pretty thin uh, when it comes to the academic side. Um, but, so it, it was a fun experience that first couple of years, but I, I totally flipped the switch a sophomore year. Uh, at the end of sophomore year, I switched to pre-med. Uh, so I trans transferred to the School of Public Health at GW. Um, and then at that point, I actually joined the cheerleading team. Uh, so to make extra money, I, again, they were paying for scholarships for, for men uh, to be on the cheerleading team. Uh, and I'd never considered it, you know, um, but my sister, uh, my biological sister followed me to GW. And so she was a freshman, I was a sophomore. And she said, David, you know, she was on the cheerleading team because uh, she did that in high school and gymnastics. And uh, she said, hey, why don't you come out to the team? You know, just check it out. And sure enough, you know, there's women there and they, they say, hey, we'll pay you $6,000 a year to be on the team. I said, that's easy. And I get to go to the basketball games for free. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that took over a majority of my time, school and cheerleading, you know, uh, end of sophomore year through senior year. That's smart, David. I like how you sort of went towards the path of, of least resistant where you see probably not a lot of athletes or let's say guys going into that because they want to focus on the major sports, basketball, football, whatever it may be, soccer. Um, yeah. But there were scholarships and you say, why not? Yeah. And the other thing is there was, I mean, I was weightlifting because I, I just did that in high school. So in college, I was weightlifting and one of the cheerleader, a couple of the cheerleader guys were lifting there too. I was like, man, these guys are huge. And so just, you know, I was just impressed by, you know, the technique, the skill, you know, the strength that it takes to, to do the sport. And uh, it was, it was an awesome experience. Um, you know, I did it for two and a half years and uh, I'm, I'm very happy. I met my wife. So my wife uh, joined the team the year after I joined and uh, <laughs> we started dating and we're still together, obviously. There you go. I was about to just say, I'm sure it wasn't bad being around all these women there. No, not at all. Yeah. And there you go. You found your wife. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great story. So you, you graduate with pre-med from GW or? Uh, yeah. So it was a pre-health pre professional degree, um, you know, and minor in sports, basically at, at the public health level. And um, I could have gone into nursing, I could have gone into med school, but literally the J January before graduation, my mom calls and says, hey, it's 2000, this was in 2005, uh, you know, your dad and I, the company's doing well, your dad and I, you know, are probably going to retire soon, all through college. So all the Saturdays, whenever I could, I would always work in the showroom on the weekends, um, and so I, I still stayed in the business uh, week, weekly. Uh, and over the summers, I would work those three summers, I worked full time. And she said, hey, why don't you come back? You can work in sales and then eventually take over the company. And this was in 2005. <laughs> and I said, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll give up, you know, this, the sports training and you know, medicine, medical career and give that up. And uh, yeah, here, here I am today. But it took until 2019 to really become the president of the company. <laughs> so it was a long journey. So you, when, yep. when you graduated, you said in 2005, right? Yep. Did yep. you start off as just a regular sales associate? Yeah, I, I was using those door-to-door -door skills. So I essentially went out, I did outside sales, uh, going to visit builders. Uh, so at that time, we started our commercial division. So we do commercial and residential uh, construction. And 
uh, it was 2005 that when I started, I did outside development to like builders. Uh, so like custom home builders, that, that was my main focus. Because uh, if you think about a home in this area, if they're building a million dollar home, you know, they'll spend 10 grand, 15 grand on tile, like just the tile portion. And so that was my main focus to get, at, go after the bigger, you know, custom builders. And I did for, oh, I did that for three or four years and became, you know, one of our top salespeople. And yeah, I, then I, I just went from one role to the next. So I was always involved in some fashion with our customer service side um, or the warehouse. Um, and then I eventually became a showroom manager. So we have, uh, we have six showrooms now going to open up a seventh one. But at that time we just had uh, two showrooms. And so I managed one of the showrooms and gained more experience by managing people versus just doing it myself. Um, yeah. David, when you joined the company full-time back in 2005, what was the size? How, how did it look now compared to how Architessa looks today? Yeah, so we were in revenue size-wise, um, I think employee count, we had about 30 people, uh, around uh, maybe 20 to 30 people around that. And we were doing 2005, uh, I think 11 million or so. Uh, in 2003, we opened up a flagship showroom in Rockville, and we were doing a, about $3 million a year. And from 2003 to 2005, we grew, you know, very quickly. Like, I want to say 11 or $12 million in those couple of years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and now, now today, are you still with the same – well, you mentioned you have – before you had two, now you're on your sixth showroom. So, I assume there's – it's, it's a larger organization than how it looked back in 2005, right? Yeah. So today we're at, uh, it, it'll, we're opening in Richmond uh, later this year. So that'll be that's seven. Oh, seven. Um, so seven with two warehouses. And we actually, I'm in our corporate headquarters, which is an office space right on Research Boulevard. And uh, yeah, I mean, we have about 80 employees now and, and we've gone we've sort of done a little bit of a wave uh, over the past 15 years uh, where, you know, we hit 30 million, you know, we hit 30 million with close to a hundred employees. And then we were, Hey, it's a little bit too big. Let's streamline. Let's make this a little bit more comfortable. And now, so now we're growing again, um, you know, back up. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, you know, it, I, I've read a few books. I'm reading one now called Traction. And, you know, it just talks a, a little bit about that growth cycle. Like, hey, you, you know, you got to constantly grow. Otherwise, you're dead. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't want to die. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm curious with your business. Is it so much correlated with real estate or the real estate market? Did you see that sort of downturn back in the crash? I don't know. 08 to 2010 or so, or, or did you not feel it at all? Yeah, so I'm very thankful. So in 2004, we started the commercial division. So for 20 years, we were pretty much just doing residential. We had one showroom. Somebody would come in just when I say residential, it's like they're just renovating a bathroom or their kitchen. Um, so when we expanded to the commercial side, we were very new at what that looked like. Uh, so in the process, you have to get architects to specify a product. You have to know the commercial real estate agents. You have to know the developers. You have to know the GCs. There's all these different players on the commercial side. And so it was just a different mindset. How do we organize our product mix to sell to those type of folks? Um, but going going back to your question more so, um, uh, <laughs> What was the question exactly? As far as the, the downturn, the real estate yeah. market back in uh, 08, 2010 and so on, was there any effect there? Yeah. So in 2008, um, we had actually just opened up two showrooms. So one in Bethesda, uh, sorry, I was getting a, a call there. Uh, one in Bethesda and one in Falls Church. 
and I, I it was very detrimental to my parents like personal portfolio they actually you know ended up short selling a couple houses but in that you know vein they kept the business going so we kept the two showrooms open it was extremely difficult um you know to gain to get any business because we had just opened those showrooms they were very expensive build outs um but we made it through and i think the the positive when i was talking about the commercial is that that time the commercial still was going up a little bit we were getting some nice projects while residential tanked significantly uh so it was nice to have that balance of the two you know the two different um you know sales avenues in that period of time you mentioned when you started you were developing relationship with home builders on the residential side was that still your role then during that period of time or were you also involved in the commercial side and growing that sector uh, around 2008, 2009, I was still managing at that point, I was managing all of the showrooms. So all the residential side, okay. uh, so there were, I want to say one, two, three, we had four in Alexandria. So it, it was a good 20 to 25 people that I was overseeing, uh, around 2013, 2013 or 14 is when I took over the commercial side as well. So I became our VP of sales. Okay. And you mentioned back then too, when you started, you quickly became number one in sales. And it was, you said you were just reaching out to home builders and I'm sure it wasn't as easy as knocking on door. Well, you tell me if you want to share, I'm sure you're not just going to a new community because that's not who you, where your decision maker is, right? No, these were builders. Uh, some significant names might be, uh, like Gibson Homes or uh, Artisan Builders, um, uh, TriCrest Homes. There's some bigger custom builder names and because they had smaller offices. Uh, they may have been working out of their home, but they would build one to $5 million homes. Uh, and so, and we have very unique product that's sort of mid to high end on that residential side. So I was really aiming at those folks um, versus the production builder where you needed to be low and dirty and, and you also needed to supply uh, the installation and labor, uh, which we're not into. We're just supplying the materials. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're, you're doing your proper research beforehand before you go out there and reach out. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand. And you said, then you went on the commercial side and as far as now business, David, is it is it 50-50 as far as residential commercial or how does that look? It, it sort of depends on the month, but mostly commercial is we're about 60% commercial and 40% residential. And what has happened really is that we'll get big projects. So we could get, you know, a Ritz-Carlton, which we did a couple of years ago in St. Thomas, you know, and, and that job alone is over a million dollars. So, um, you know, you get those types of projects that bump commercial way higher. And, and our investment, in all honesty, is that commercial side of the business because um, to hire, it, it's similar to like commercial real estate, you know, I guess firm, if you were to hire one rep, they can work from home, they have a little storage space. Whereas if on the residential side, I need to build out a showroom, you know, that's going to cost several hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out a showroom mm -hmm. uh, and a long-term lease. So that's very true. I'm curious though. I understand that there's probably a higher expense to the residential side, just like you mentioned, but as, as far as the margin, is it the same or is there more marginal with the residential client than the commercial one? Yeah, the margin is definitely higher on the residential side. So we're, you know, even though the projects could be smaller, they're not $100,000 projects, mm -hmm. the tend to be higher, um, mainly uh, because of the type of products that people are picking out. Yeah. So if they're picking out, you know, a fancy glass mosaic, they would never use that type of product commercially unless you just had an owner of a building who wanted it <laughs> very badly. <laughs> So, 
Okay. So I, I guess from your perspective, I, it's better to focus on sort of that, that larger customer and client, even though they might be less margin, but it, it's a bigger amount overall in total. Yeah, and the, and the way that we market both commercially and residentially is having a concierge service. So not only do, you know, do all of our sales folks know about Tile, they know what it takes to install it, uh, where it should be used. And really talking about with the client, whether it's a homeowner or a designer building a building, um, you know, what is their, what's, what, the, what are their styles that they like? Um, what do they like to do on the weekends that you can sort of pull in, whether it's colors, um, you know, or, or anything at all. So uh, it, we, we call it concierge service because we talk about the project as a whole, not just, you know, hey, you need a tile for your backsplash. Here's a white one and a gray one. <laughs> and you also manufacture them, right? Uh, so we, we don't manufacture anything ourselves. We do OEM uh, materials. So I will design materials and I'll have a factory make it for us. Uh, that is about... 10 to 15 percent of our product and then the rest of it we take what uh what a factory makes uh, a factory could make let's call it you know a thousand products but i may only take uh, uh 50 of them because i want to be very selective in what i show um but that's not to say if somebody comes in and says hey i'm looking for something like this then I can go back to the factory and I know, you know, hey, I, I know that other products are out there to look for. Sure. Okay. I, I understand. Yeah. What, what would you say now, David, that drives and motivates you? Hmm. Uh, well, number one, the family, uh, you know, not only my personal family with my kids and my wife, but, you know, our 80 employees, we run it, you know, pretty corporate, you know, from our technologies and the operation of the company and our meetings, it's pretty corporate, but we're still a family. So every one of our employees, you know, I really try to find out more about them personally and what their goals are. Um, and how we've done that is, you know, if people move, we try to keep them on board. Uh, I just had an employee last year, uh, she got engaged and she moved to Florida and she was working in Alexandria, Virginia. And we said, Hey, stay on board with us. And so she's, she's working for us in Orlando. Oh wow! <laughs> so, yeah. It's, uh, it, I don't know. I, that, it, that's pretty, that, that's pretty much the major driver is just the focus on the family and our core values, uh, you know, we made these four core values to, that we all believe in as a leadership team. And if I wake up one morning and I'm like, nah, I don't feel like it. I, I'm held accountable, not only by the core values, but the rest of the team. Sure. Well, what are your four core values? So community, uh, well, sorry, character is our first one. So we lead with character, um, then the community. Uh, we have results that matter. So in any organization, we do want to sell, you know, to maintain the business. And then lastly is innovation. Uh, so innovation was uh, uh, my personal favorite, even though it's last. Um, but we, uh, we always want to strive to have the, you know, the newest thing, as long as it works with our process and our organization. Um, but we're big on technology. We use salesforce.com you know, soup to nuts. It's our only system that we use pretty much. Uh, so we're fully in the cloud and remote. And yeah, now our next step is e-commerce. So I'm really pushing the innovation, you know, envelope with the tile industry. You don't see that much, you know, innovation in the tile industry. So <laughs> you, you don't. And I love how you embrace technology because like you just mentioned in your industry or, or even similar sectors, that I've come across, they're not all about innovation or embracing tech. And I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people in similar sectors that you're in still using paper uh, for invoicing for whatever it may be for Billy. And I'm just like, really? It's a little shocking, but not surprising. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, you. I'll be honest. There's a company uh, locally. They're a billion dollar company, uh, and uh, it's Ferguson. Ferguson Enterprises. I'm sure you've heard of them, uh, but they're owned by an uh, English company, I believe. And Ferguson, a billion dollar company, I'm pretty sure still prints out, you know, in their warehouse like a a five layer color copy printer thing. And I, I think to myself, for us, everything's online. You know, the, the customer, when they get a delivery, they sign on an iPad, you know, they can sign on their phone. Uh, everything's electronic for us. So that's great. And, and I'm sure that's probably one of the reasons you're able to accommodate certain employees. Like you mentioned that one example that they moved from Northern Virginia to Orlando um, it, is there a showroom there in Orlando or is it, it, it just the role can be done remotely? Yeah. So w for us, uh, a commercial sales rep is mostly remote. They, they work at home. They could have a storage unit for small sample sets. Uh, but most of our samples are, are mailed out from our Baltimore warehouse. So we ship nationwide. Um, people can order samples through our website or they can order it through the rep. Uh, and the, the outside sales rep, if, for instance, in Orlando, she'll visit the architects and designers and any related, uh, you know, general contractors or bigger tile installers. Um, yeah, so like we're working on a project in Miami right now, um, actually with CBRE. You know, CBRE is doing a lot of their own in-house design and development for the tenant spaces. Uh, so that's a, you know, just one example, but they're in Miami and I don't have a rep in Miami. So a lot of that is done, you know, just mailing them samples, you know, virtually communicating and doing screen shares. Uh, so it's, it's a whole new world there for sure. Yeah. I I'm curious in that example, you just gave not having a rep in Miami, how are those relationships established? Is it from one city and then it gets transferred to another city or people just calling them? Yeah, it's, it's, it's both. It's, it's all of the above because it could be the designer lives in DC and then they move to Florida and they know our name, but they're at a new firm in Florida and they like working with us. It could be that they found us on a Google search because they were looking up, you know, purple subway tile, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and our, our name came up. So we, we get leads from all across, uh, all across different avenues. Uh, one new lead, which is, is something interesting uh, in the marketplace, just in materials overall, is called materialbank.com. Uh, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but um, they are owned by the Sandow Corporation, and they warehouse a lot of samples from wood to fabrics to paint to tile. And they generate for us, you know, hundreds of leads every month. Uh, and they could be, you know, a lead in California. Uh, it could be a lead right here in DC. Uh, but designers order samples for free on their platform. Oh, wow. For, for, for in that situation, is it you're paying per lead or how does that work? Uh, yeah. So essentially all the manufacturers or vendors pay, you know, per lead. Uh, they, it's a different fee, you know, based on certain things, but, uh, you're essentially paying for that lead. <laughs> okay. I understand. Okay. So that lead is not just architects. So that's receiving it, but maybe these are few, let's call it competition, competitor of yours and whoever can sell them and establish that relationship wins it. And right. Yeah. So let's say a designer at Gensler in DC, they could be working on a, a office building and they might order an architecta sample. Uh, they would order a Sherwin paint sample and, and a wood sample, and they would get it all in the same box. So, oh. so they can order from multiple different places and get one shipment. So it's sort of the new thing in, in the design industry. Yeah. You do, we were just talking about teams here, and I'm sure surrounding yourself with the right team members, employees is very important. How do you go about there in Architecta finding the right people, putting the right people in the seats in the bus? Yeah. So currently, uh, I am our HR director. <laughs> so we, uh, we did have a full-time HR director a few years ago, uh, but we have a platform called Paylocity. Uh, and Paylocity has been very helpful in 
uh, you could, there's an HR component or recruiting component where you can put different ads and jobs and it farms it out to, you know, all the different platforms. Uh, and so we get resumes coming in and then typically my managers go through the first interview process and then I'll be the second interview. Uh, they have to do some surveys. Uh, sometimes we have them do 30, 60, 90 day plans for their, you know, their area. That's a little bit higher level. Um, but yeah, as far as just recruiting, uh, I'm big on LinkedIn. You know, I think that's how we connected as well. And, you know, just trying to stay out there. I, I think it's very important to always network and uh, connect with other people, regardless of what industry it is, because, you know, some need can come up from somebody else. You know, I, I don't know. So I can just be a resource for whoever it may be somebody in the food industry. You know, you, you never know. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's all about the relationship because you don't know, maybe they're not in the industry, but they may have a family or a friend that there you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. David, starting off with, with this business, just right out of college, what advice would you give to someone? Let's say they were in a similar situation. They want to join an organization where they see that there's growth, maybe a couple pointers, what they should look out for to, to look out for a company where there's potential, there's growth and what they can do to move up. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I would say number one, number one, be organized, be organized, be willing to um, open up and be afraid to fail. Uh, but also uh, be creative in your thinking, you know, offer, offer ideas and what can make a process better. Um, yeah, I mean, and then just continually, you know, working hard, not necessarily um, working longer hours, but working hard and smart. You know, that's, it's very important to put in the hours when needed. Uh, but if you're working smart and you're staying organized in those, uh, in that way, um, and you're creative, I think a lot of my growth has been, I love problem solving. That's why I initially went into electrical engineering because I love just finding out a solution or how to solve a problem in some fashion. I love math. And so if you can think of out of the box ideas and problem solve, um, and stay organized in that, uh, you know, I think you'll definitely succeed in whatever, you know, opportunity is, whether it's tile or something else. I, I love that mindset you just mentioned as far as just find, you know, solving problems. And it's interesting to hear because I, I hear, I see people that there's problems at work with whatever role they have, and it sort of gets to them. And they get bogged down and then they might be stressed or whatever it is, instead of trying to find solutions and alternatives to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then especially when you're moving up, you're going to have bigger problems, bigger, bigger things to solve. And that's just part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, half of my day is figuring out solutions of, of, of a problem or a situation that would have come up. <laughs> So uh, problem solving is extremely big, whether it's a pricing scenario or you're trying to fix a contract. Um, it, it could be anything. Is there any point as far as what an individual could look out for when joining an organization? Because there's, there's companies out there, and I think you made a comment earlier that you're always growing. If not, you're going backwards or along those lines. But there's companies you come across that they say they want to grow, but what they're telling you verbally, the actions are two totally different things. You know, some of them are just satisfied, just coasting along instead of trying to go this way. Um, and for a person like you coming out of college back then in 05, you want to, you know, obviously you want to be employed, but you also want to make sure you're in the right ship and hopefully it's going this way and not just here or down there. Right. Yeah. I mean, setting the vision at the top is extremely important. So for me, it's going to be very important for me to say, hey, this is where we want to go as a team. And I, I can't take us there by myself. Um, and I think any, um, you know, or any colleague or staff member coming out of college uh, can, should really look for those things, ask those questions in the interview, ask, 
you know, hey, what is your marketing team doing? What is, you know, your operations team? They ask like what kind of projects they're working on. And if there's not really an answer to, hey, we're doing this in here, we're doing this in here, then there's probably not much growth in, in that sector. So, um, and I know a lot of companies, there's a lot of companies that are very comfortable, you know, we're right here, we're gonna be, you know, 10 employees, we're gonna be $3 million a year, um, and we're comfortable with that. Um, but I just think you've gotta change and grow, whether it's in IT, in operations, um, you know, accounting, all the different departments, you've got to always work on streamlining your process and, and not necessarily growing in dollars, but just growing in the, I, yeah, the, the word growth is confusing sometimes because people ask that in the interview, you know, I, I want to see a growth, uh, well, to you, what is growth? Is that money? Is that, uh, you know, position, is that management, is that title? Um, so it's really understanding what that growth means to that individual person. That's some great advice. I, I like that, thank you. Yeah. Are, are there any particular habits or traits, David, that you think have influenced you day to day, whether in business or on the personal side of things? Um, I would say, you know, some of my habits would be exercising. So I'm exercising three to four days a week. I'm an avid Peloton rider. I, I love riding my bike now that, you know, throwing girls up in the air, women uh, in college, it's, you know, it's a lot of toll on your body. Um, so, you know, between running and, you know, I did a hundred mile bike ride a couple months ago. Um, so, you know, keeping active. Uh, another habit would be you know, I'm, like I said, I was a Christian. So being in the word, that sort of, um, you know, it, it really calms me down. You know, it's something that I go to when I get stressed. Uh, so that's, um, you know, and if I put my trust in that area, then I know I'll be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, those are probably the two biggest habits. And then uh, my wife is always pushing my health. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> eating right, you know, regardless of what it is. I, 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 she is absolutely right. If you eat poorly, it will affect how you feel throughout the day. So, um, yeah. <laughs> That's good. It's true though. What, what, what you feel yourself with, it does affect you. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest challenge with your role at Architessa today? Hmm. The biggest challenge for us, and this has not been, it's not just today, it's been over the years. We are, you know, still a small family owned business like we've been. And the challenge all the time has been capital. You know, we have to fund our business with whatever we make. And in order to have that core value as innovation, we have to be strategic. What do we put our funds into? you know, at the right time? And is that the right decision? So, um, you know, that honestly, that's, that's really the biggest challenge. I, I wouldn't say it's, you know, there's always the problems of finding the right folks. Um, or, you know, is this location the best location? But, you know, when it boils down to it, if you had huge investments, you know, it does make life easier. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm very extremely thankful the past year, e even though we struggled during COVID, the government money, that PPP loan, you know, we got two of those as a company and that helped immensely. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest struggle is where to invest uh, your capital that you are, you do have. David, if you had, hypothetically speaking, unlimited capital right there, how would you put that to work? What would you do? I would definitely grow. So our model of growth has been um, in Baltimore and Atlanta. We opened up these smaller showrooms about 16, 1800 square feet. And so they can act um, sort of in a dual way with residential and commercial. So where you can invite and 
like have these little happy hour events kind of with commercial designers. Um, but yeah, just opening up like small little showrooms like that, which we're going to do in Richmond um, and then having the commercial outside sales rep. So doing those little, you know, those little, um, little showrooms and expanding to, uh, to me, it's second tier cities like, you know, Nashville or Dallas or Austin, you know, spreading those across the country. So that's honestly, if I had unlimited capital, if we could open up, you know, 20 more of those, uh, we would be, you know, a lot larger <laughs> and it would sure. be worth, it would be worth it. So these showrooms, these showrooms you mentioned, they're roughly about 1,500, 1,800 square feet? Correct, yeah. Okay. And are they retail or flex space? or? It's, it's on its flex space. So uh, each one of them varies significantly. We have um, the one in Baltimore is, in, is on a retail level of a 10-story you know, building. Um, the one in Alexandria is a small uh, showroom in a row house. Uh, Atlanta is it literally an old warehouse turned into, you know, more showroom type space. Uh, and there's two architects in the same complex. So, you know, it works out. Uh, Richmond is going to be the, the landlord wanted to be a, wanted it to be a restaurant, uh, but he couldn't find a restaurant. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to take it over. It's right, you know, right on main street. Uh, so it, it varies on the location and a lot of it has to do with, is it central to the commercial design firms? And is it in a nice part of town that sort of gets some traffic? Sure. And it sounds like it, it almost acts as a community hub for you and your potential clients for them to come in and host these events. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The one, one in Richmond will be fun because it has an outdoor patio oh. uh, that he was going, he was designing for outdoor seating for the restaurant. And so it, I think it's a perfect location for us to advertise some of our ex exterior materials um, and, and host people at the same time. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you would have known at the start of your career? Hmm. Oof. That's a tough one. Um, I wish I would have known how long, how much work I was going to have to put in. I, I think initially when I came out, and this is, is probably similar, actually similar for a lot of the younger folks that I interview uh, when, you know, they're coming, you know, right out of college, uh, they want, you know, this right away. And, and I was thinking, Hey, I'm going to take over my parents, you know, $10 million business right out of college. <laughs> but I, I should, I could have just had somebody slap me in the face and be like, yeah, the, this is what it's going to take to get there. So. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. And, and I think probably the media may be, may have a small role there just because you hear all these stories, all these overnight success stories in a, a year or two, but in reality, the majority of these business owners or entrepreneurs, if that's the route you choose to take, it's not a one, three-year type of growth. And then you're going from 10 to 100 million now, let's call it. It, it's, it takes a lot longer than that. Yeah, there's not very many Pelotons out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's very true. When, when I say the word success, David, what do you think of? Do you think of a person or a thing or... What comes to mind first? Uh, you cut out there for a second. So oh, I said, well, when I say the word success, what is the first thing that comes to mind? I think that it goes to one of our core value behaviors, which is making happy and loyal customers. Um, to me, that's success because not only is your team happy at that point because they're doing well, but your clients are happy and you know loyal customers being you've got that business coming for years to come. So you don't need to work as hard. <laughs> I mean, you still got to work a little bit, but you know, if that loyalty is there, it's, it's easier. Yeah. Having the family business and your mom and your stepfather involved, and you mentioned earlier, as far as reading also books, did, did you have any specific mentors that come to mind? And if so, what did you learn from them? 
Yeah, actually, I, we sort of missed a little bit of the story along the way in my years of managing when I was VP of sales. So I was the youngest member at 25 uh, to join EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, and, and for several years, actually. Uh, so I was in that because I was at an executive role. And that small group taught me a lot. You know, the five guys that were in that group, they were running their companies, um, you know, that. And I was also in Vistage uh, for a couple years. Uh, so having that small group and just building other business owners. And now I'm on the board for the CTDA, the Ceramic Tile Distributors Association. Um, and I'm in a small group with, you know, a tile owner in Chicago and California and Florida. And so just having those relationships and seeing what they do with their companies versus what we do. Uh, and I'll be honest, the cool part is, and I, I, I don't want to come off as proud, but you know, the team that I've built here from all those companies that I've been in those small groups with is pretty, you know, we're, I feel like we're in the top 10%, you know, just as far as teams go, not necessarily revenue per se, but, um, what we're executing here and how the business operates, I feel like is in the top tier. Uh, so anyway, it, it makes me feel good, but I've had a, a lot of good mentors. We've had consultants over the years. <clears throat> I mean, I have one book on my desk, you know, this is mastering leadership. Um, so we've, we've gone through different things. That's the leadership cycle, but always having something, you, that you're reading is very important to that success. I, I love how you invested at an early age. You mentioned at 25 uh, when you were VP of sales there at the company and you joined it EO, EO, I believe, right? Yeah. And you were also with Vistage. And, you know, there's obviously besides your time, there's also an investment monetarily going into these groups. And, and I assume it was well worth it from what you're telling me, right? Yeah, it was definitely worth it. Um, for the, I was in EO for five years, Vistage for two years. Um, and it was worth it for those years that I was in them. Um, at, at a certain point, the time investment, it, it does become a lot. Um, it, it, and it's only um, called back more because I have three kids. So, you know, my oldest is nine. So you can imagine nine years ago when I was, uh, you know, 29, I had a lot more time <laughs> to devote, but, uh, you know, now not, not as much to the outside stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we get busy. I, uh, mine, my oldest is 10. He just turned 10 last month in July. Uh, and it's it, like, you know, activities, there are different activities and you, you almost become the Uber driver for them. Let's call it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm coaching my son's youngest, uh, my youngest, uh, my son who's six, uh, sorry, <laughs> he's about to turn five, but it's the U6 group uh, for soccer. And, you know, I, I, I was exhausted yesterday as a first practice yesterday, and I've coached the other girls teams as well in soccer. And, <laughs> you know, you still go out there and you have fun and you run around and I'm sweating my butt off with a bunch of five-year-olds. <laughs> oh, yesterday was hot too, David. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was about degrees. <laughs> I, I remember I took uh, yesterday, my, uh, my youngest is five, and I took him to his first uh, jiu-jitsu class. And yes, and he liked it. Uh, and it, it, we were indoors, of course. It's a martial arts a studio academy, but you can feel the hotness. So I can't imagine running around in the sun. There's no shade in the soccer field. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the kids, uh, we did water, I think we did 10 water breaks in an hour. <laughs> and, and I'm sure with those water breaks, there's also bathroom breaks following afterwards, especially you said there are five and six. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, the boys, I didn't get anything yesterday, but with the girls, the girls were always asking, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> there's no bathroom on the soccer field. <laughs> so... so you said your oldest is nine and you have a five-year-old and how old is your middle one? And I've got a seven-year-old. Okay. So they're almost very close to mine is 10. He's seven. He's turning eight in October. And then my five-year-old. Okay. Yeah. It's a basically yeah. the same. Yeah. <laughs> almost the same age. 
Yeah, we tried. They tried. Uh, I think it was one of the karate places, and my my two youngest were they they need to run around like, and we thought for sure because they tackle all the time. We thought maybe karate, jujitsu, and it was it was a little bit too slow for them. Like they literally need to run around and circle. <laughs> yeah, so maybe soccer is it. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> So, David, what does the future hold for you and Architessa? What does the next couple of years, next five years look like? I mean, like I said a little bit in the commercial growth, that, that's our goal. I mean, we're bringing on um, a VP of strategic accounts. I have a very strong leadership team. I have, uh, besides the new hire, I have uh, three other commercial sales managers who all have over... 10, 15 years experience. So, uh, and they're roughly, you know, middle-aged, I would say. So the growth is, you know, we hire people under those folks and just keep growing it commercially. Um, and then w expanding our online e-commerce platform. So we launched the e-commerce website in February and I want to have the best tile website. Uh, I mean, I, I, I really do. Uh, so uh, our, our hope is to add like a, a trade program on the website um, very soon. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's some of the short-term growth. And then, you know, who knows? I mean, five, 10 years from now, if we have a bigger company, you know, and we can b either buy or merge with, you know, other tile companies and, you know, across the country, that's something that's happening, consolidations are happening in the industry. Um, and it's easier to grow in a market with somebody who's already doing well there. Uh, so that's some of the things that we're looking at. Um, so, yeah. And, and speaking about growth and consolidation, it is true, you're seeing it a lot. And, and what I'm seeing too is a lot of these private equity funds, they're, they're giving you the capital needed, as you mentioned, as far as the lack of, the lack of capital earlier. And you're now becoming that, platform where you can go buy and acquire other similar type of businesses and you now become the company platform. Yeah. And I, I think the cool part is I've had conversations with folks about that type of thing. And, and that's not necessarily one of the reasons we change, but I think having that architessa one word name instead of architectural ceramics, you begin to have a platform name. Like not only is it tile and stone and wood, but you know, is it a different product? Uh, <clears throat> maybe like a Norch, not necessarily like a Nordstrom's or a Starbucks, but that one word name where you can sell, you know, a plethora of materials under and become a brand versus uh, just, you know, a tile company. We really want to push our brand and make Architessa that, you know, tile brand name that you think of when, hey, I, I need to redo my bathroom. Hey, have you looked at Architessa? you know, that be that brand name. And, and you know, it, it's very true. When I go to your website, by the way, it's top notch. I, I can feel it just coming in, just that, that this is a brand. This isn't just some vendor uh, yeah. that does tile or sells, sells tile. And so you, you, so far you're doing such an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I, I know we were talking earlier about the family and coaching. Um, so when you're not busy with work, what do you like to do for fun in your free time? Oof. Uh, well, my wife and I uh, hiked Old Rag last weekend. <laughs> nice. Uh, that was just, uh, you know, we dropped the kids off at the in-laws. Uh, so usually it's along lines of something athletic, you know, or an activity. Um, yeah. I mean, my wife and I met, you know, doing cheerleading. So we're very active people and, anything on the bike, you know, I like to bike now. Um, but yeah, there, there's not too much free time for that. You know, we're, we're doing a uh, anniversary trip at the end of next month. Uh, but you know, any kind of activity is, is what we go for. <laughs> That's great. Well, where are you heading to next month? Uh, actually St. Lucia. Ah, okay. <laughs> don't, don't tell my teammates that. <laughs> okay. But it's just you, you alone, correct? Without the children? Yeah, it's a, we've been married. It'll be our 13-year anniversary. Ah, so. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's good. <laughs>
it's always nice when you're able to get away and just have some adult quality time. Yeah, and uh, and the cool part is too, we, we're working with a project at the St. Lucia Airport. <laughs> so, oh. um, it, unrelated, I but I will probably look at the space just to uh, <laughs> to see what what they're going to be renovating. Hey, business expense, why not? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's write it off, baby. <laughs> Exactly. Hopefully the IRS is not listening to this. I, I'm sure they, they're not. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. David, where, where can people find out more information about you and Architessa? Yeah, I would just really say go to architessa.com. You know, everything is on there. Uh, visit our locations page. Stop by one of our locations from, you know, Baltimore to Atlanta. We'll, we have locations and uh like I said, our, our sales team is there to help. Um, if there's any designers listening, you know, please uh, check out architessa.com and order samples. And uh, on the commercial real estate side, certainly we can, you know, it's good to be connected with, with real estate side and developers because we know about projects at the architect level, you know, even before, because, you know, early on, because they, they're starting to build the concept around the project. And so they're always asking for samples, but yeah, just check us out online. Great. David, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Otto, it's good to meet you, man. Yeah, same, take care. All right, have a good day. You too. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.